here. I'm going to read out of the book of John. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn them there. Also, you can follow along on the screen, uh, on the televisions and the screen behind me. But the book of John is a great passage of Scripture. And we talked about last Sunday about it's never too late for your comeback. It's never too late for your comebacks. Comebacks happen because of setbacks. How many of you this morning have had a setback? The rest of you are not alive yet, but you will have a setback if you live any length of time. And in a setback, you are going to have a desperate need for a comeback. And God is in the comeback business. In John chapter 11, verse 43, it says, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with the cloth and Jesus said to them loose them and let him go loose him and let him go it's never too late for your comeback because nobody in this auditorium today or audience has had a problem as bad off as Lazarus anybody there otherwise we got to give you CPR we got to put you back on the right path because you're dead Lazarus was dead for four days, and God resurrected him after being in a grave for four days. If he can raise the dead, he can heal you, he can provide for you, he can restore from you. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're going to trust you today to meet every need and give people exactly the miracle they're believing for today. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's men and women said... Amen. Now, before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and said, you're really hot to trot. Would you do that today? Just tell them. It's all right. It's an 80s term, maybe even 70s, but it's okay. You're hot to trot. They used to have a song back when I was growing up. Some of you, some of you older folks remember it. Remember, you're too hot to trot now, baby. No, some of you don't know there. That's how you get down. I, if it wasn't 70s soul, I don't know about it. That rock stuff's for you crazy people. I think our old school gospel, I'll bust it out on you, but I think there's something so important about in need of God. And I want to encourage you, next Sunday, the service times are changing, 9 and 11. As you look around today, there's lots of people in this service. We're going to need you to do your part and have a true heart for the house. A heart for the house is inviting people. As you are blessed, you got to turn and bless others and invite them. One of the great things you can do is if, uh, if you're like go to coffee or you're in a, a line to get a coffee, you know, buy somebody a drink behind you, but leave them with the card and say, you know, Oasis bought you this. And then... And and then give Marie the tab, and she'll pay it off. Uh, no, maybe don't do that. But be a blessing. Tell people about the, about the church and about, about coming. Invite them. Take them to uh, the cafe afterwards. Next week, we'll have all our cappuccino machines up and running. So uh, service times, 9 and 11. But I want you to invite somebody. This place is a man magnificent facility, and I don't want you to miss an opportunity to invite people because I promise you, as you are blessed by this facility, so will they. But more than the facility, the heart of the house. It's so important to have a good culture and have a heart for the house, to be excited about the things of God. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. Anybody with me? 
and this world is not our home. And we have a time together in the house of God where we get heavenly things, heavenly minded, so we can do the earth a great good. Because we're here to do good on this earth and help people. And so I just want to encourage you, the greatest way you can help people is by showing them where the water is, showing them where the oasis is. I'm biased because, you know, obviously, but show them where the water is and invite them to the house of God. Let's, let, let's don't frustrate me next week by half filling these services. Let's make me a happy, ball-headed camper and let your heart for the house come alive and invite people, 9 and 11, bring them, come with them and bring them, and it'll be a great thing because let's fill these two services out and uh, just like this one's filled out. So I want you to do that. How many of you think you can? All right, a few of you. The rest of you, come on, get with it. We need you to engage a part of this beautiful culture that we're establishing here at Oasis Church. Now, I think about you today because you and I are very common in this sense. We are in need of God more than we even realize. We have a desperation like no other when it comes to the things of God. Do you know you're sitting in that chair today and you can't even take your next breath without God's permission? Your heart beats a beat out of step, out of rhythm, you're going to be on the ground and you're going to need a little CPR. But God today, he's given you a CPR. He's given you a command. That's the C, the command of God. He tells us setbacks are only temporary if we'll have the right attitude. Then he gives us this beautiful promise. That's the P. The promises of God are yes and amen. Do you know today, friends, there are over 3,000 promises right here in the word. Every one of these promises are yes and and they're amen. So God starts to give you a command. Then he gives you a promise. Then he tells you and I, take the risk. Take the risk. The Bible says Lazarus had been dead for four days. And it even said in the passage that he was, he was stinking. Jesus didn't come on purpose. He was taking a risk. He's God. He knew when Lazarus died. He knew Mary and Martha were devastated by the loss of their brother Lazarus. He knew. But God wanted to show them the power of who he is and the miracles that he can do. How many of you desperately need a miracle? Let me see your hands today. When you need a miracle, sometimes you have to get down to nothing. Because when you get down to nothing, God starts to get up to something. And he starts to provide for you. He starts to make a way. Even though the situations seem like, how can, it, how can it get help? How can I get help in my business, Joey? How can I get help in my finances? How can I get help with my marriage? How can I get help with my physical body? But I believe comebacks happen when you and I get reduced down to nothing. Why? Because God sometimes, friends, he gets glory out of nothing. He gets glory out of nothing. When you've been reduced down to nothing, God gets glory out of that. He does. Mary and Martha said, Jesus, come. Our brother's sick. Jesus didn't come on purpose, like I said. He's God. He knows when Lazarus died, but he deliberately waited till he was dead four days, reduced down to nothing. That's why it's so important for you and I to realize today, God's delays are never God's denials. The provision you've been praying for, it may be delayed, and I know you've been waiting for it, but it doesn't mean it's denied. The healing you've been praying for, it may be delayed, but it does not mean it's denied. The son, the daughter, the promised child you've been praying for for years, it may be delayed, but it's not denied. You need to know that God is the God of the last minute. 
If you've ever served the Lord for any length of time, you know that God is the God of the last minute. How many of you understand that? He shows up. It's not in our time. It's not in this world's time, but it's in his time. And in his time, he's the God of the last minute. I wish he didn't have that theology. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like the last minute theology of God. That he comes when somebody's just a corpse for four days and now he's, he's reeking like a bad burrito. He's stinking and it's not good and he's dead for four days and now you're waiting on God and you're waiting for God to do something and it just seems like it's a dead situation and then all of a sudden he shows up at the last minute. When nobody else can do it, he proves that he is the God above all other gods. And they waited until he was dead because the situation kind of seemed hopeless. Because God gets that glory out of hopeless situations. He gets glory out of a continuation school dropout. A two-time convicted felon before he was 18. See, that's my story. God gets glory out of every time I get up here and minister the word. Because I should be the last one ministering from a podium. I should be the last one starting city centers and churches and engaging to start other churches in the future. But God gets glory out of people. People who take what they have, reduce it down, and, do, and let God take nothing and produce something. You see, some of you feel the same way that I feel. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, you don't have any options, or you feel like, maybe I can't do that. I, how can I be a dad, Joey? How can I be a good mom? How can I start that business? How can I have an entrepreneur spirit? But I'm telling you, when you get reduced down to nothing, God starts to do something to show his glory. To honor him, sometimes you got to get down to nothing. Reminds me of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. He was fighting the Midianites, and the Midianites had an army of tens of thousands. So Gideon called for the armies of Israel. 32,000 troops showed up, and God says, mm, mm, I like it, but you got too many. So Gideon said, how many of y'all are scared? And all these men raised their hand, as a matter of fact, 10,000 were only left because 22,000 of them raised their hand and said, we're too scared to fight. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going against an army of tens of thousands and you got 32,000 men, you can give them a good fight. I mean, it, it's going to go a good way for you, possibly. But now you're reduced down to 10,000, and you've got 10,000, and you're going against tens of thousands. You maybe, if you try really hard with some intervention divine from God, maybe you can put up a good fight. God says, you still got too many. He takes the 10,000, and he tells Gideon, take them to the water. And when they go to the water, I want you to watch, Gideon, how they drink that water. And the Bible says these 10,000 men were thirsty. And as the men went to the water, many of them, they went down to the water and they began to lap it up like a dog, not looking around because they were so thirsty for what their eyes seen. And they were so thirsty in the flesh, they began to just drink the water. God says, those are the type of men that need to go home. But the ones that took the water and they began to lap it and look around, God says, that's the men that are going to fight my battle. 300 were left. And God says, now that's a fight that I want to get involved with. There's only 300 left going against tens of thousands. When you are reduced down to 300 soldiers, how many of y'all know Gideon is in faith mode? 
You could say 32,000, man, we can do it. 10,000, man, we could possibly do it. But now we've only got 300, we're reduced down to nothing. The Bible says they did something. They sounded the trumpets, they broke the pitchers, they lit the torches, and the Midianites became confused, almost captivated by each other. And they began to fight each other in a bloody combat battle, and they totally destroyed one another. The point is, when God starts to do something, and God starts to solve the problem, and God defeats the enemy, he's going to do it without even you lifting a hand. That's the battle that is truly the Lord's. So I'm saying to you, when God starts to get involved in your situation, he starts to show up so magnificently, even though you've been reduced down to nothing, he starts to show up to make a way where there seems to be no way. He is not going to give you a partial victory. I'm going to do this side over here first. He's going to give you a total victory. He's not going to give you a partial victory. He's going to give you a total victory. He's not going to give you a partial victory. He's going to give you a total victory. He's not going to give you a partial victory. He's going to give you a. Come on, let's all give a praise to our God in the house of God today. I think it's important because in the genesis of time, God took a handful of dirt, nothing. He breathed into it and man became a living soul. In the ministry of Jesus, he fed the multitudes with five barley loaves and two small fishes, and he fed 15,000. Why? Because little is much when God is in it. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. What he's saying is, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. As soon as I empty myself of my will, my ego, what I want to do, my vanity, my pride, God is getting ready to use us for his glory. I'm saying the miracle you're waiting for. Maybe there's a portion in your life, maybe, just maybe, that God's saying, I got to get that out of you so I can get the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says it this way, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, reduce down to nothing. Take his cross up and follow me because God gets glory out of nothing. He gets glory out of nothing. Remember when he spoke through the donkey when the prophet was on his back? That means God can speak through anyone. He can speak through anyone. He spoke through a donkey when a preacher was riding on the donkey's back. Why didn't he speak through the preacher? Because maybe the preacher thought he had too much of God in him and too much of self in him. And he thought he was going to do God a favor. And God says, I don't need you. I'll have the donkey speak on my behalf. So next time you think you've got all that in a big bag of chips, next time you think you're big boss applesauce, remember, he can speak through a donkey. He can speak through you. You say, well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I just don't, you were referring me to a donkey? Hee-haw, yeah. Do you know clay in the master hands of the potter? Have you ever thought about in the Old Testament? It's really the story of Jeremiah. Clay in the master hands of the potter is really interesting because clay does not have say in what the potter is making. 
Clay does not have say in what the potter is making. Clay does not, clay does not say, hey, potter, you're mismanaging my future. No, clay cannot speak. It's nothing. You don't. It, why, why does God compare you and I to clay? It makes you kind of think, hee-haw, doesn't it? All of this is saying you have to be able to be pliable, ready to learn, willing to change, be a person that stays on the potter's wheel, the spinning wheel, and let God yank out those imperfections out of our lives. We all have them. Yank them out, out of our lives. And God says, and if it's not what I want it to be, I'm going to smash it one more time because I'm going to get through you and make you a magnificent work, a masterpiece. Your life at the end of this thing will be beautiful for the rest of your life. God uses nothing that brings him glory. Wasn't it King David who had a slingshot that every child in Israel had at the time, but yet he used nothing as slingshot that every boy had to defeat Goliath when the destiny of nations were hanging in the balance. Jesus Christ used an old rugged cross. So simple in its design. Any child could draw, but yet so powerful in its purpose. No man can fully understand the beauty of that cross. What does God look when he looks at you and looks at I? What does he look for when he wants to do a miracle? Maybe he's looking for you and I to get down to nothing. Maybe he's just waiting for you to get at the end of yourself and the end of how you're going to figure it out and the end of what you think you're going to do and how you think you're going to solve the problem and from borrowing Peter to pay Paul on how you think you're going to do all these things and maybe, just maybe, God says, no, get down to nothing because little is much when God is in it. I want you to learn like I have to learn through trial and tribulations and fire. God, if there's something in me, my arrogance, my pride, my religious ego that's preventing from moving Moving through me and in me, remove it out of me right now so I can be a vessel for your glory, so I can give you honor because I want to please you and please you alone. I don't care what this world thinks. I don't care what people think. I want to honor you and please you, and I don't care less what anybody else has to say. I want to honor you and you alone. You say, well, that sounds kind of crazy. I know, right? We're not screwed on the right bolt. You say, you, you, you Christians are crazy. Yes, right. It's crazy. We're crazy awesome. Christianity is crazy good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I think Christianity is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and I love cars. Christianity is the greatest thing. Where else do you get something for nothing? You didn't qualify for salvation. You don't qualify for healing. You don't qualify for the goodness of God. You can't pray enough. You can't give enough. You can't sacrifice enough. Only by the goodness of God are you saved and are you called. I don't know another message as great as the gospel message. It's the greatest message on the planet. Can somebody give the Lord praise if they're thankful for the cross today. I think it's important because comebacks really happen when you start to proclaim. It's the power of a proclamation. Now think about this. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Why did he say Lazarus? Some of you have heard people preach it. Some of you have heard me say it. If he hadn't called Lazarus by name, every dead man since the dawn of creation would have gotten out of the grave because he is the resurrection and the life. So when he said Lazarus, one man had the right to get up. When God, when God calls you by name, you have the right to get up. When God calls you by name, 
We sing that song here in the church, he knows my name. Why is that important? Because when God calls you by name, you have every right under heaven to get back up again, to try again, to honor him again, to do it one more time. Lazarus had the right to get back up because God called him by name. That's the proclamation. It releases the power of God. Friends, there is a miracle in your mouth. When you start to speak what God speaks, there's a miracle that comes in your mouth. Do you know the word proclaim? It comes from the Latin word, which means to shout forth. That's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the same word means to confess. So put it together. Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. Put that together, and it means shout forth a confession of the word of God. So when you're proclaiming or making a proclamation, you are shouting forth a confession of the word of God. Now think about that. That's what it's based on the promises. When you're shouting forth confessions, you're shouting forth what God says you are, who God says you are. Now that's based upon what scriptures are saying. You have the right to proclaim what God says about you. Doesn't matter what your mama said about you. Doesn't matter what your daddy said about you. Doesn't matter what your old boyfriend or girlfriend or what your ex says about you. It only matters what God says about you. And then the next portion of that, it really matters what you say about you. Because other people can talk about you and criticize you. If criticism can kill, I'd be a corpse ten times over. Criticism should not take you any place that God cannot sustain you and launch you to. And that's important because the word proclaim means to release the power of God. There's a miracle in your, in your mouth when you confess what God says about you. When the scriptures give you that power. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. But he's not only our high priest. Hebrews 3 and 1, it's on the screen. He's the high priest of something called our confession. He's the high priest of your confession. When you're confessing what the word of God says about you, Jesus, your high priest, is at the right hand of God the Father. He's making intercession for you, and he's backing up everything you say the word says about you. God says, I'm in heaven. I'm backing it up. The Holy Spirit's within you. It's confirming in your spirit. I'm backing that thing up. I can tell over you the wonders of God. I declare over you the oracles of God, the goodness of God. What does that mean when you confess what the scripture says that's in the word out of your mouth Jesus your high priest releases that anointing on that and that's why the scriptures say God says you can have the desires of your heart when you confess it unto God I think that's important because our high priest releases that anointing when you confess and proclamate, proclaim what the Bible says that you can have. That's why it's important to destroy the enemy's attack. you got to proclaim the word of God. How does that work? Let me give you an illustration this morning because some of you are looking like, I don't know what you're saying. Let me, let me give it to you like this because these are proclamations, how this works. A proclamation over negative thinking. Because some of you have tremendous stinking thinking. And I'm talking about Lazarus, so I think it's appropriate. Your thinking stinketh. Every time you think about something, it's always, oh, it's bad. And then you start saying, how bad is it? You start confessing. You've got negative thinking, stinking thinking. 
You've got to learn to train your mind to start thinking on those things that are above. How do you conquer stinking thinking? With the word of God. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. See, that starts to conquer negative thinking. The Bible says whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are praiseworthy, think upon these things. As a man or a woman thinketh so are they? The battle of the mind is the most fierce battle that you will ever encounter unto you as a believer because you have to conquer that stinking thinking. It's important. When you start to proclaim things like that, you're conquering that enemy that tries to assault your mind. How about the proclamation of health and strength? It's found in Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known and have you not heard? He gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he, he, wear them, give, he, he, wear, he gives them the strength. And while the young man grow weary and the young man shall utterly fall, those who wait upon the Lord, many of you know it, shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon wings of eagle. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Brother, when you start to say things like that, your body starts to get in. You start saying, you know what, I can conquer this cancer. I can conquer this disease. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If you need your strength renewed, that means you've been tired. You've been weary. You've been beaten down. If your strength needs to be renewed, that means you've got to get that Holy Spirit high priest intercession on the inside. Speaking the word of God on the outside. Let your high priest come alive and give you exactly what you need in the day of battle. Now think about this because... This is one I like the best, and it has to do with the blood of Jesus. This is God's atomic bomb, booyah, in the day of battle. The book of Revelation says we overcome Satan when we testify personally what the blood of Jesus Christ does for us. So I want you in a moment to say this with me. We'll have it on the screens. I want you to say this with me. Even if you don't understand it, it's okay. Let's say it anyway because it's the word of God. Because when you say it, your high priest, who is Jesus, he starts to release power to cause every part of this to become a reality. Are you ready? It's on the screen. Say it with me. Through the blood of Jesus. I'm redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. Through the blood of Jesus, I'm constantly being cleansed from all sin. Wait, you guys are all off cue. We couldn't have you singing. Like, you're over here. Whoa. Back it up. We're not doing a choir anytime soon here, I got to tell you. Let's, <laughs> it's true. We're taking no worship team applications at this moment. I will say it. You repeat it after me. Let's try it again. All right, you ready? I'll say it. You repeat it. Through the blood of Jesus. Oh, there you go. I'm redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Through the blood of Jesus. All my sins are forgiven. Through the blood of Jesus. I'm constantly being cleansed from all sins. Through the blood of Jesus, I'm justified, made righteous, just as if I've never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus, I'm sanctified, made holy. I'm set apart by God Almighty. Through the blood of Jesus, I have boldness to enter into the presence of God. Through the blood of Jesus, I'm constantly being forgiven. 
I'm constantly being saved. I'm redeemed. I'm victorious through the blood. Now give the Lord a hand clap if you're glad to be saved by that blood. <laughs> okay. Maybe in March I'll let you try out again for the team. We'll see. But as we get ready to close, I present this story today because I think this is so important. It's on this story of Lazarus like we've been talking about. And it begins with a dead man who comes out of the grave. No one has a situation quite as desperate as Lazarus. He's in a desperate situation. He's dead. So you can't tell me today, you know, my problem, bro, is it's bad. Your problem is not as bad as Lazarus was. Jesus came and he made a proclamation. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus got off the stone slab. But the Bible says he couldn't walk. He couldn't walk. Jesus told those who were standing by, loose him and let him go. Lazarus was alive, but he was bound hand and foot in grave clothes. He's alive, but he does not have freedom. Many of you today are spiritually alive or you wouldn't be in church. But if we're honest, you don't have freedom. You're bound. You're bound by your past. There are things in your past you won't let go. You, you let the enemy keep assaulting your mind, bringing it up, and you just keep worrying about it, talking about it, and worry is sin. And you just keep bringing it up, bringing it up. If you've confessed it to God, stop bringing it up. God doesn't remember. Why should you? It's over. Some of you are bound by fear, fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of death, fear of living, fear of dying, fear of the unknown, fear, fear, fear. Living in Stockton, some of you are bound by fear. Do you know psychologists tell us that in America alone, there are 70 major phobias that infect the thinking of the American people when it comes to this issue of fear? That's why Jesus gave us those two beautiful words in his ministry. Fear not. Let's say it together. Fear not. Fear not death. I am the resurrection and the life. Fear not sickness. I'm the great physician. Fear not your past. It's been forgiven and forgotten. Fear not Satan. He's been defeated at Calvary. Fear not powers and principalities. I've given you the authority to trample on Satan. I've given you the authority. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose down on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't know what tomorrow holds, friend, but I do know who holds tomorrow. He's a God of grace and God of truth, and Jesus is his name. And we get bound. We just get bound up by our problems because our problems seem insurmountable. So I close with this story for you to think about today. This story is a magnificent story in the New Testament. It's found in Mark chapter 2. Some of you know this story. It's the paralyzed man. And he's being taken in a stretcher to the Bible study where Jesus is teaching at the house. Many theologians say it was Jesus' house, as a matter of fact, where the teaching was happening. He's a paralytic. Remember it? And they, they pick him up, and they're trying to get him to the house, but the house is so full that so they, they lower him on the stretcher. They rip the hole through the roof of the house, and they, they gave him a sunroof. And they ripped the hole, and they brought the man down. He's paralyzed. Remember that story? They're lifting him down. So I want you to humor me this morning. And I want you to go with me in this conversation. These four men are having 
on their way to this healing service, carrying this paralytic man. Jesus is conducting the, the Bible study and the teaching in the house. These four men are carrying him on the stretcher. And one of the four men say, I was blind. And now Jesus has healed me and he opened up my eyes and now I can see. And the paralyzed man lying on the stretcher said, look, I'm paralyzed all over my body. I would be glad to be blind if I could just move around. My problem is insurmountable. How many of you know people like that? You give them a solution, it's not the right solution, and their problem is the worst in the world. Don't raise your hand, you might be sitting next to them. The second man says, let me tell you about my withered hand. Jesus told me to stretch it out. He healed me. I'm carrying you with the hand that was withered. And the paralyzed man said, I'd be glad to have just one arm that was broke and the other one that worked. But I'm paralyzed all over. My problem is worse than yours. And the third man says, I was deaf. I couldn't hear. And Jesus opened up my ears. The paralyzed man, still believing his problem was insurmountable, was beyond the worst in the world, says, if it was just my ears, my whole body is paralyzed. And the fourth man said, look, you look, healing a paralyzed body is no problem for Jesus. And the paralyzed man, thinking his problem was insurmountable, says, how do you know? How do you know my problem cannot be fixed? And you're saying it can be fixed. He says, I know, because my name is Lazarus. And if he raised me from the dead after four days, he can heal your paralyzed body. And I'm telling you, if you will just believe, if you will just believe, if you will just believe, have faith in God, just believe. I don't care how problems come against you and how insurmountable they may appear. The God that we serve is a giant killer. He is the one who can raise the dead, who can heal the leper. He can bring the miracle you're looking for. I believe in miracles. They still happen because Jesus is alive. He's well. He lives on the inside. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Anybody with me this morning? <laughs>